Once upon a time, in a faraway land, I woke up and realized, I am going to be a dentist. Said like no one ever. These are the real stories, not fairy tales. As we go behind the smiles, this is a podcast where we interview and chat with some of the biggest leaders in dentistry, learn their stories, and share their motivation with your host, Dr. Gina Dorfman. Today's episode is brought to you by Yappy, an automated paperless software for dentists and their teams. Learn more at yappyapp.com. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Smiles. I am here today with my friend, Dr. Colin Lathrow. Hi, Colin. Welcome to the show. Hi, Gina. Thanks for having me. I am so happy that you, I know you're very busy, so I'm happy that you found some time to spend with us today. The reason why I wanted to have you on the show is because I know you have a very unique practice, and I have so many questions about it. But before we get there, do you mind uh, very briefly sharing with us your um, story in dentistry, how, why you chose to become a dentist? Do you have any regrets? And, and um, you know, how did you get to where you are today? Sure. I, um, I grew up in a dental practice. My, my stepdad came along when I was 12. And when I was 14, I was in high school in the summertime. He informed me that I wasn't going to sit on the couch and, and watch cartoons and eat cereal all day mm-hmm. um, and that I was going to go to his office with him and and help him uh, do whatever you know kind of earn my keep I guess so <laughs> I started sweeping the floors cleaning instruments and I was the the developed the x-ray you know kid for the summer and all sorts of stuff so I just learned a lot of things just as a seasonal employee of my stepdad's dental practice and over time I realized that I was pretty mechanically inclined and it was a great job that you didn't really have you know, emergencies per se. Um, and you can have a regular you know, kind of a life and, and make a good income and, and really make a difference in a lot of your patients' lives. I, um, I went to, you know, college for a while. I worked my way through. I finally, um, I got into a research program in DC or did a research fellowship. And then I started dental school at the University of Texas in Houston. I also started graduate school at the same time as a PhD student. I was in a a dual degree program. Wow. I was at MD Anderson in the hospital doing research and I was in dental school lectures. I was in the graduate school lectures and I never slept and I was exhausted. And about a year and a half into it, I decided, you know what? I think being just a dentist is going to be just fine for me. Graduated 2009, uh, just went to uh, straight to private practice, uh, group practice in Austin, uh, kind of a PPO DMO mill kind of place two days a week. And then a private uh, PPO type practice uh, outside of Austin for the rest of the week. After that, I was an associate in a couple of other practices. I worked in a very big group, high volume PPO practice, and I could cover four or five chairs at once. You know, it was just a lot of work um, after after I was in the Woodlands. And so when it came time for me to do a scratch start um, five and a half years ago now, I decided that I wanted to not be beholden as much to insurance companies by being out of network so that I could charge a fair rate for the amount of work and what we needed to do and really build the value on on what we were doing and not um, not a $29 cleaning special and, and all kinds of stuff and trying to run as many people through. Um, there's lots of practices around me, lots that have built, been built since I did my startup, some of those which have already been sold or are failing and closing. So it's not just a demographic that I'm in. There's other docs out here that I've become friends with that own practices. And, um, and they're all, they all tell me, oh, I wish that I was out of network like you are. And 
you know, you're so lucky and it's different and, you know, and they're, they're right down the street from me. So it's really not different. We have the same patient mix, same demographic, um, same abilities. It's just, uh, we focus on a high level of customer service. We try to back up what we do, uh, provide the best. And we try to explain, you know, why we're, we're looking in, out for our patient's best interests, not what we can bill the most for. You know, it really changes the dynamic when, when patients feel like you're really looking out for them and not for, you know, not for yourself, I guess. You know, it's funny. You, you kind of brought me back with your story. Interesting times. And, you know, with that in mind, um, you know, you worked in your stepdad's practice. And then after you graduated, you've experienced different types of practices and you kind of gravitated to um, what you like. What were some lessons that you kind of, you know, saw along the way that you either said, this is the right way of doing things. So maybe you thought, I'm definitely not doing that. So I, I also worked part-time doing nursing home dentistry. I had worked in a clinic here. when my wife got pregnant with our first child. I worked in a clinic here in Houston and it was a mainly Medicaid office. So, so I've worked every different type of practice model um, that, that's available. And, and I gravitated towards the type that seemed um, the easiest to do with the least amount of, of headaches. So, you know, Medicaid, it, you're, you're turning and burning and it, it can really wipe you out pretty quickly. And thank God that there's, you know, dentists that will take care of, you know, populations that are dependent upon that type of care. Um, nursing home dentistry, that was very hard on your back and your neck because they can't really move. You're not right. having them in a dental chair. They're in a hospital bed and you're trying to figure out why their denture doesn't fit until you read the name on it and it's not their denture. So that became a pretty quick fix. You found the right denture and put it in the right patient. Right. Um, but, but all those experiences led me to look for a way that I could set up a, a high tech office, um, which you can't do that in, um, uh, you know, out in the middle of nowhere necessarily as a scratch start. You know, you don't have enough patience to cover the cost of the, the materials and the equipment. You can't do that in a, in a really depressed socioeconomic area, per se. Um, you know, so, so you have to pick the, the type of practice that you want. You have to build it in a type of area that will support it. And it just happened to be where, you know, where I knew the best, where my family has lived for 25 years. Um, so, you know, I just picked um, a breakaway style design for the layout of the practice to be efficient. I picked a high visibility location. It was the first building being built on a on a road between a, a toll road and a, and a major freeway. And a lot of the neighborhoods have to funnel out down this road. Um, I knew people in the community already, and so they kind of marketed for me from the beginning. And once we started, it was mainly word of mouth via private Facebook groups around the different neighborhoods around here. It was all word of mouth because... Um, nobody that lives where I live is from here because it was all cow fields and pastures and farmland and it's grown, you know, quite a bit over the past 15 years. Um, the past seven years, eight years or so, it's tremendous growth. So I also picked the start of practice in an area that had needs for dental practice. And so when you have a high amount of people moving into an area, that's a good spot to pick for a startup. The people are young and educated, high amount of oil and gas employees out here. A lot of those guys are engineers. So, you know, 
they they take well to the technology. We take photos of everything and show them, so we're, we're very transparent. So all of those things combined, I said, you know what? I'm going to try it. What's the worst thing that can happen? I have to just start signing up for PPOs later. You know, I could have gotten a part-time job. I could have done all these other things to make it work. But I started collecting and adding people. I mean, I had a hygienist two days a week within the first month. I added a second hygienist part-time within three months. I added my fourth and fifth operatories within five or six months of being open. I think by month 11 or 12 in the first year, I had six uh, operatories fully functioning. Um, you know, I started with a cone beam and everything else. And then now, you know, five and a half years later, we have eight ops, um, all digital cone beam. We have a trios. We have two element, itero element scanners for Invisalign. We've got hardened soft tissue lasers, a couple of those that we use a lot. We have big screen TVs on the walls that are heavy restorative ops. Uh, so that we can show these high resolution, you know, photographs to patients. And it's just the type of dentistry that I wanted to do. I tried to figure that out from the beginning and set up a kind of a practice that it would allow me to get there. I didn't want to sign up for every PPO under the sun, thinking that I wanted to do a lot of aesthetics and, and, and high level dentistry, you know, because I was worried about doing the, the PPO turns where you're just trying to see as many people as fast as possible, working on one or two, maybe three teeth at a time. You know, it just really wasn't what I wanted to do. So out of network works the best because I can still utilize patients insurance where they can still pay their, their portion. Um, and we set it up technology wise to try to make that as easy as possible and outsourcing things such as insurance verification, outsourcing our 3d, um, digital wax up design, um, you know, any number of things that we could outsource to, to, to spend more time with more face time with our patients. And the more time that we're able to do, the better, the better our treatment plan accepted. I have five hygienists and I do not run assisted hygiene because I want the hygienist to take the patient from the, the waiting room when they first show up within a minute or two of them walking in the door, take them right back to their operatory to meet their reserve time. Um, they take all the uh, blood pressure, x-rays, photos, perio charting, all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, they'll talk with the patients. They'll do a full exam with the patients with me to where there's no handoffs to where people start losing things. You know, if it's a big case or something like that, then we'll, we'll do that a little differently. But for, for mainly for a filling or a crown or two here or there, the hygienist is doing all of that. If the patient decides they want to do Invisalign, the hygienist will scan them. When that case comes back and it's time to deliver that case for that patient, the hygienist who scanned them is usually the one helping me deliver the Invisalign case. They've already pre-filled the trays with the um, uh, flowable composite. They've already etched and, and cleaned the teeth and have an gate in and all those things. And I come in and kind of set it in or check everything, do IPR, talk with the patients a little bit, you know, so we could have, we could have had fewer hygienists and saved a little bit on overhead by running assisted hygiene. And we would have had our patients being handed off from one patient to the next to the next. And the, the reason that I know that our system works really well is when I'm coming in for a new patient exam, I hear them, they're already making their next three months, four months, or six months recare visit appointment. I haven't even met them yet. So it's important that, you know, they've nailed it from the first phone call. From when the patient walks in the door from the beginning, they're greeted with a smile. Miranda will stand up and go and shake the patient's hand and sit down with them. 
they'll fill out everything on an iPad with Yappy if they hadn't already done it um, online from at home. Um, and then they're not in the waiting room very long. And a lot of patients are surprised that they don't have to wait 30, 40 minutes, an hour before their appointment. I, I don't understand that, um, how, how people expect their customers to come back when they've made them wait every time they come. That's a problem. You know, patients don't want to wait. They're too busy. They have better stuff to do than spend all day long at the dental office Absolutely. doing things they really don't like doing anyway. And having the little things, the little touches. So we turn the operatory lights off when we're working. I People will that. come in and visit our practice. And they're like, well, well, how can you see in there? Well, you have you know, background lighting from the hallway. We have loops and headlights. All the assistants, all the hygienists, and all the doctors have that. But we can see everything just fine in their mouth. Yeah, sure, we can turn the overhead light on if we needed to. But when you lay them back in a chair and you put a blanket on them and you put headphones on them and they have a TV and they can figure out what they want to watch and they're listening to that, they don't really care what you're doing. The time goes by really quickly from a patient perspective. You know, you don't go into a massage place and they don't play like loud music and have, you know, all these examination interrogation lights on. (laughs) You know, they have nice, low, soft music or whatever else. And, you know, the, the... the experience, the ambiance in there, it changes the, the psychology of the patient. Um, and we notice a big impact with a lot of our sensory patients, all of our kids that are on the spectrum. Um, you know, we have a lot of nonverbal and um, uh, special needs kids that come in that we don't even, we don't even market for that. It, it's just, that's just been word of mouth that, that we take care of them. We're nice to them just like we are to any other patient. So the way that you kind of set up your practice and the feel of everything that makes a bigger impact. And if you're $5 cheaper than the guy down the street for Invisalign or an implant or whatever else. I kind of want to go back a little bit because what I heard you say is that once you realize what kind of practice you wanted, you reverse engineered from there. You found the location that can support that type of practice, which is critical. It amazes me how many dentists do a startup and they don't do demographic reports, not only for you know, a lot of times I see posts on Facebook, like I have that many dentists in the area, should I open a startup? But the question is, what is a patient demographic? What kind of startup do you want? What is your practice going to look like three years from now? If you could get on a, uh, you know, time machine and you travel out and you look at your practice three years from now, what does it look like? What does it feel like? Who's working there? And it seems to me that you really thought this through and then you incorporated all those elements into the practice from the technology to um, probably the type of education that you uh, postgraduate education that you receive because I'm noticing that you do gosh your mix of services is truly impressive um, and and also that influenced the kind of technology that you've brought into your practice uh, to the kind of ambiance you created because when we think about a medical facility I think the first word that comes to mind is start right? It's bright lights and it's cold and it's very impersonal and you're doing just the opposite. You're creating this amazing experience that begins from that first phone call. Uh, They might be talking to your hygienist. We're going to talk about this run deskless environment that you've created. Um, But from the very moment they're talking to your team, who's going to be taking care of them. And then I, I love how they, um, can transition from a hygiene appointment into a, an Invisalign appointment with the same provider. I'm not a fan of assistant hygiene myself because I do believe, even though my practice is a PPO practice, I still don't have assistant hygiene because I believe that 
the attention that we give to our patients really translates into better treatment plan acceptance and trust and referrals. And my gosh, you have like 1,500 raving reviews, right? You don't, you don't get that by, uh, you know, doing what everyone else is doing. So let's, let's go back a bit. Let's, let's talk about this front deskless environment. How does that work? When I was planning on uh, opening, I was trying to figure out how to use an iPad for, um, you know, new patient check-in forms and something that would work with open dental. Um, you know, and I was thinking about credit card payments as well. And so I came across um, a description. Somebody referenced Yappy on, on Dental Town. Um, and had, had I known about it beforehand, I would have completely redesigned the front entryway of my office. I would have eliminated a lot of the typical, the front office breakaway design. It's a lot of wasted space when you don't need all that junk. Um, and so when I opened, I had two assistants. They had never booked an appointment. They had never, they didn't know what a dental insurance claim was or, or, or how you enter in, how you read an EOB, any of those things. They didn't know any of that stuff. I had worked with them in a previous practice. They had both left that practice um, six months or so before I was opening. And, and so I was able to hire them. And they joined me um, and they're still with me, you know, five and a half years later. Now, wow. uh, we set it up to where they would kind of rotate. One of them would be with a patient with me and the other one would cover the phone. And then we brought a hygienist on and she had had, she had uh, experience in, a, in an out of network, a fee-for-service type practice. Um, for six or seven years out, out of hygiene school. And so she knew how to talk with patients and, and be friendly. And and we weren't that busy because we were a startup. So she would answer the phones and she would book appointments and she would get, um, you know, we had a, a breakdown page that I showed them, you know, how they how to use it and how to fill it all out and stuff like that. Well, she would get all the information and she didn't have anything better to do. She'd call the insurance company and she'd get a breakdown of benefits. So, you know, we all just started helping each other and working as a, a solid 100% cross-trained team. So we've created this comfortable environment, you know, with overlapping job duties and descriptions. And I've seen and read and heard all this stuff for years and years because I've been doing this a long time about having, you know, somebody is responsible for this and somebody is responsible for that. And you're doing 10 handoffs from one person to the next to the next, you know, patients who are, are getting a high-touch experience they don't want to be passed off from one person to the next to the next to the next because you know that's a lot of different personality types for that patient to get along with what if they don't mesh well with two or three of those people you know um so those are just things to keep in mind as far as the the patient experience from the time they call the time they walk in the door the first time after they leave and they get a text message or whatever else for a google review well hell if they've had a great experience that's a lot easier to get a good review. More reviews bring you more notoriety and more patience and all this other stuff, you know, and it doesn't have to cost you as much as it does for direct mail or taking huge PPO discounts or any of these other things. When I was reading through uh, Titans of Dentistry, you know, there's a lot of folks in there yeah. that I know and I've read their stories. I learned new things about them that I didn't know. A lot of other people I had never heard of before and I want to meet them. I want to reach out to them and call them. Hey, I'd love to see your practice. I'd love to come and see how you do your thing. Because dentists will learn a lot more if they can find other practices that are run the way that they want to have a practice to be run from. And go watch. Don't try and reinvent the wheel. You know, just copy somebody who's already done it. Just do it somewhere else where you're not, you know, treading on their 
you know, location or whatever else, that's not really that cool. And then, you know, if, if you go and find somebody, you know, like a PPO practice, have somebody go and see, you know, Paul Etchison outside of Chicago, you know, and see how he runs his, his awesome practice, you know, and that way those folks would have a, a resource. They could reach out to him periodically, you know, those kind of guys would be more than happy to mentor other people who are looking to, to start a practice or buy one or whatever else. Um, you know, so, so find the kind of practice that you want to have as well, work in it, work in a type of practice like that and recreate it. You know, that was an invaluable experience. All the practices that I worked in because I was able to figure out the things I didn't want to do, right? figure out the things I did want to do and work in an environment like that. And go, you know what? I want to set up a practice just like this one. I want to have these few changes because, you know, I'm a dentist just like all the rest of them. We're all type A. We all have, you know, uh, our quirks that we want things run the way that we want them to do. So, yeah, I've got some unique things about my office, but they were, they were things borrowed from quite a few other people. You know, that's a lot easier way of, of setting up a new practice or, or converting an existing practice into something that you want by finding someone who's already done it. Somebody who's got street cred and just kind of following them and learn from them and get some advice and then, you know, make it personable and, and make it an enjoyable experience for your patients and make it fun for your team because, man, it is too expensive to keep recycling through employees left and right because you're a micromanaging um, you know what, <laughs> you're always on somebody's backside, you know, complaining and complaining and complaining because they didn't set this up. They didn't do that right. And all this other stuff. So, you know, those are the same people complain about their marriages, that, you know, their wives hate them or their husbands hate them because they're always nagging at them and all these other things. So, you know, um, figure those things out and your practice will take off and it'll just keep growing no matter what. Hundred percent. And you know, one of the reasons why I decided to start this podcast is because for years I've been reading all the doom and gloom on, you know, some of the dental forums and dental Facebook groups about, you know, um, the environment and, and the, you know, HMOs and, and um, economy and all of the reasons why it's hard to be successful nowadays. And there was a, um, a long running thread on one of the forums, uh, the golden age of dentistry is over. And yep. I knew so many successful people that were doing things a little bit differently, you know, like you, like Paul, Paul was on the podcast before, and I really wanted to, you know, get them uh, on the air and pick their brain because there's just so much to be learned. And, and, and the best part about the reason why this is the golden age is because now that we have this ability to learn from each other and to sh- you know, learn each other's stories and, and, um, uh, you know, learn from people that are far away from you and, and doing something that you can be easily doing in your hometown, uh, because we have internet, because we we're so interconnected now as a profession. Um, I think that's, that's an incredible time to be practicing dentistry, but there's something else that I wanted to go back to what you said. And I think it's critical because one of the questions that I was going to ask you when you were talking about your team is, that it's probably uh, harder to find, you know, you, you hear dentists complain about finding good people. And I thought, my, my gosh, it's got to be harder to find good people who are, um, you know, open to being cross-trained and, and who can uh, excel at multiple, you know, someone can be great on the phone and also a great implant assistant. But you said something that really caught my attention 
Um, and I want to go back to that. I believe it was Ryan Tracy who said, don't be a go-getter, be a go-giver. If you can help them make their dreams come true, they'll go through brick walls for you, right? Absolutely. hundred percent. Every day of the week, they will do that. Um, you know, it's just them to get bored after a while. So reinvest in them, send them to a class. Um, you know, if, if there's a clinical technique that there's a lot of lab work that needs to be done and you know that somebody in Nashville or wherever is doing that, well, you know, buy your assistant a plane ticket and, and get them an Uber ride to, you know, a hotel or whatever else and have them go shadow in that office and learn from their assistants or that sort of stuff. Because then they're going to own that that technique or whatever else and they're going to bring it back and share it with the rest of your team and they're going to make you more profitable by doing whatever this new uh, technique is. Um, you know, it makes a huge difference because you're, you're growing them professionally. You're growing them, um, you know, growing their soul as well by giving them something else to learn. Um, you know, people don't want to do the same thing time and time, you know, day in and day out over, you know, 10, 15, 20 years that just eats at you, you know? So people are always wanting to learn more and get constant growth. And you want those kind of employees, those, those people that, that they bring new ideas to you. You know, I tell them all the time. I said, you know, you bring me, you bring me solutions. Don't bring me problems. I, I got plenty of problems. Right. You know, so I, I don't need more of those. So bring me a solution to whatever this thing is. And if it's something that I agree with, I'll be like, great. And if it's something that I don't, I'll say, well, that's one way of handling it. You know, let's, let's think about this or this or, you know, uh, and get creative because then they have some ownership in the, in the processes, um, you know, that are going on. So they're going to, they're going to adapt to those things much better. Now, they make decisions without my input all the time now. They do it because they, they, they've seen examples of different things that I've done or told them to do. I've given them boundaries to fall within. And as long as they stay within those boundaries, uh, like the little gutter guards when you're bowling, as long as they stay within those things, then I'm not going to get mad at them, even if they, they spent $200 more on something than I really would have wanted them to, you know, because uh, they don't abuse that. And they do it in the best interest of the practice and the best interest of the patients. So if, as long as it meets those two criteria, then they're going to go forward. If it's good for the patient, it's bad for the practice, they're not going to do it. And of course, if it's good for the practice and bad for the patient, they're sure not going to do that either. So you have to be able to let go a little bit of that control with people and they have to feel safe enough in your work environment that they can make those decisions and that you're going to back them up on it. And that's very difficult for a lot of dentists. They can't give that control up um, or they don't, they don't view their teammates as equals. They have this very classic hierarchy that I'm the doctor and, you know, crap rolls downhill. So, you know, you didn't do it right and all this other stuff instead of, Hey, we're a team. How do we pull together to make this better? Um, you know, I hear this all the time. I listen to lots of podcasts and, and I try to meet a lot of dentists, you know, and I hear Craig, you know, uh, Spodak and Peter Bolden on their podcast talking about a lot of these similar things. And it's amazing what you just said about, the internet, uh, Facebook groups, um, you know, it used to be dental town, but it's more Facebook groups now, it seems. Um, and a lot of podcasts now, there's so much ability to information harvest with respect to dentistry, the functions of a dental office, team dynamics, and all these other things. We just never really had that before. You had to wait until maybe you'd get a decent article written, um, you know, in one of these magazines. And if you had the time to, to sit down and read it, if you saw it, but now you can get on a Facebook forum and you can put in a search term and you can start finding a bunch of threads on different things that are current. They're not stuff from like eight years ago. Um, you know, and you see this person and you can kind of see who they are 
and maybe reach out to them and ask them, hey, I saw you posted this and you know, I want to get some more information on that. And by and large, a lot of the people that are interacting on these forums are, are, um, are willing to share and that sort of stuff. Um, and so that's been just amazing with, with the rise of dental, uh, digital technology, 3D printing, 3D scanning, all these other things. I mean, just amazing workflows that you can do that you, you just couldn't do before. And there's so much sharing from great people, uh, either on YouTube or podcasts that I think you're right. Um, I think we are, we're not even close to starting the golden age of dentistry yet. You know, every generation of dentists seems to say that they think that their generation is, is the best and all that, but. There's so much happening and changing that uh, we have so much more opportunity that the, the times are changing kind of back to out of network and fee for service offices. Now it looks like that all the corporate offices, they, they have just PPO micromanage these plans down to a certain, certain point for a profit margin. The patients are getting tired of that stuff. You know, they're willing to go uh, to someone not on their insurance plan and pay a little bit of extra because they want to be taken care of and, and they want to have something that actually looks nice. You know, they don't want their veneers to all be, you know, A2, monochromatic. Right. Um, you know, so so I'm having a lot of patients that are coming in now, and it's uh, by reputation that they're saying, well, I was going to, you know, some of these offices because that's what my insurance took, and or that's where I had to go, and I just never enjoyed it. And uh, my friends all come here, and they say they have so much fun. They're laughing. They enjoy going. So they go more. They go more often. They refer more often. So everything that we've set up, it is by design. I did think about it for a long time. And I thought about businesses that I'd been in that I, I liked to return to. And so early on, I tried to think of ways that I could instill some of those things. You know, Chick-fil-A, you go to the drive-thru and a little 15-year-old, you know, it's my pleasure. Can I get you any extra napkins or ketchup or whatever the hell it is to make your lunch work better? You know, your experience, and you're like, man, man, that was really, really nice. Because when I went to McDonald's last week and picked up chicken nuggets for my kids, that person was as rude as they could be. I don't want to go back there. Even though my kids are like, oh, it's chicken nuggets. They don't care where it comes from, you know? But given my choice, I'd rather go to Chick-fil-A versus McDonald's. The quality is better. I can tell it. It tastes better. They're nicer, you know? Yeah. So, and, and they're not open on Sunday. So they have some values as well. So, I, you know, I'm not going to work at night. I'm not going to work on the weekends except for emergencies. That's just what I've set up because I've got young kids. I'm right. not the all night long dentist and the, you know, Sunday morning at nine o'clock, you know, kind of dentist or any of that kind of stuff. You know, it's just not me. It's just not what I want to do. So I set my practice up that way and most patients know it. Now I've been up here at 10 o'clock at night on a Thursday night, putting the cheerleader's teeth back in because she knocked them out. Not even my patient. Orthodontist called me and asked me if they could bring this girl over and would I help her? And I was like, sure, absolutely. You know, of course they became, yeah. uh, you know, patient, but they also talked to this whole, you know, cheerleader network of all these, you know, professional uh, young cheerleader girls and stuff like that. And all their families want to start coming in now because I just did something nice and kind for these people, you know? So those are the things that, that build a practice, you know, with your relationships with your team, with your patients and, and with your specialists around. So, um, you know, I just don't see a whole lot of that. I see more of it starting, but, um, you know, dentists are just too, too isolated from each other. Yes. Yes. And, you know, you mentioned Chick-fil-A, which is interesting because it has come up on a show before. Um, you know, that 15 year old went through six weeks of training before serving chicken 
to you. Yep. And in a dental office, we put someone in the front. Now, here's, here's the dichotomy of this, right? So we, we say we want to hire someone who has ownership of her job, who is proud, who is, you know, uh, represents her office, who is, um, you know, growing, who, who wants to be uh, a team player, who is motivated. And then we're trying to figure out how we can manage and motivate them even more. And all we can come up with is we're going to micromanage and we're going to give them a bonus. And the reality is that you mentioned something. You buy her a train uh, or a plane ticket. You get her hotel room. You send her where she can learn something. And, and she, immediately she's grown. She's, more, she's contributing more. You can pay her more. Uh, but she also, that's the way she feels about herself. When she comes to work, she's more competent. And there's nothing that makes people... Um, happier more than feeling competent and confident in their own abilities. And yet what we really do is we put someone in the front. We say, okay, sit next to Debbie. You're going to learn from her by osmosis. And then you can start picking up the phone right away, right? So now she's answering the phone. And then we expect her to do that same thing for the next 30 years. And we get pissed every time she asks for a raise when the sun turns around the, or earth turns around the sun <laughs> and, uh, but the reality is we, it's our fault. We didn't train her. We didn't give her the ability to grow. So all she can think about is money. And usually, usually dentists are good. They're, they're, dentists are pretty stupid people when it comes to, to interacting with people. They can interact with teeth just fine. They hire somebody new and they put them at the front on the phone. Like they're the face of their practice. And these brand new person, they may not even know how to spell your name, where yes. you went to school. They answer the phone, patient calls, I would like an, an implant on my front tooth. Oh, okay, well, come on in at two o'clock. Right. Well, what if the dentist doesn't place implants? You know, what if they call about dentures and they're like, well, dentures, I guess the dentist does that. Yeah, come on in, we'll do some dentures for you. And the dentist doesn't do that procedure. So, you know, dentists, they put people up there and they, they, they do it with the best intention, but they put them in the wrong position from the beginning. You know, in the old days, companies, they didn't hire some new person and put them in at the lead position with no background whatsoever on what the company made, what kind of widgets they produced. You know, they put them in the mailroom. They moved up from the mailroom up to an, an account person where they'd call on customers. They'd go and try to sell steak knives or widgets or whatever it is to, to new customers or that sort of stuff. They'd really learn the business from the bottom up. And as that person moved and they put their time in and they grew and they were a valuable uh, resource and a valuable team member for that company, well, you know, they'd share the rewards of that. And they'd finish up as an executive with a pension and all that other kind of stuff. So, you know, nobody ever learns on the ground level. So if you hire them and put them in the ground level and work their way up, number one, when they do answer the phone, they can answer any question about temporaries or veneers or dentures or, or laser therapy or whatever, whatever in the world that you do in your practice. Because you have put them through that amount of training period so that they can say my pleasure when, um, you know, a patient um, or a customer says thank you and, and, you know, can I do this or that? You know, they're ready. Um, so, yeah, stop putting people in the, wrong, in the wrong position because it just doesn't work well for the practice. It doesn't work well for the patients either because they get confused and upset and, you know, all these other things. So, you know, put people where they can best be served and give them the tools to exceed, whether it's from you or from some outside a learning opportunity, taking the CE or whatever it is. So when you, when you invest in your team, they feel like they're really a member, a part of what you're doing and they're going to stay. And they may, they may 
work for you forever um, and not leave you for 50 cents an hour more to go across the street. Absolutely. You know, you just made me think of something while I was listening to you talk. Um, you know, a lot of uh, new patient phone calls uh, to, to a practice, well, 40 of them go to voicemail. Um, but the other ones that we pick up, you know, half of them make appointment and they don't show up. I mean, the statistics are horrible. Uh, but if you listen to those phone calls, a lot of times the conversation goes something like this. Hi, do you do implants? I think so. What's your insurance? Right. And And it's like, we put the insurance before everything, but the reason is because the person answering the phone call, she's the insurance specialist. That's what she knows. She's, she knows how to, to call and get the benefits. She knows how to bill insurance. Uh, she probably knows how to somewhat correctly estimate the co-payment. She knows nothing about the implants. Now, in your practice, if someone calls and Shelby answers the phone and they ask her about implants, is she going to talk to them about implants and, and the life-changing dentistry that happens in your practice or is she going to talk to them about insurance? We make the insurance more important simply because our the very first person that, that interacts with the patient talks about insurance and not about what the wonderful well, doctor can do right. for the patient. That's right, but they also do it about money. Well, how much is a crown? Patient calls. How much is a crown? Well, you know, it's uh, it's twelve hundred dollars. You know, do you have insurance and do you have any money? Can you pay for it? Yeah. You, know, you make it about the money. You say, well, yeah. I mean, you may need a crown. You may not. I mean, do you have a tooth that's bothering you? you so, oh well, I did this or that or whatever else. And so, well, why don't you come by and let us meet you and and you know we can check it out and see if that's even what you need. I'm like, oh well, well, okay. And so then they come in. And they greet the door warmly and on time. And it's a seamless transition into getting photos and x-ray or whatever else. And, um, you know, whoever the assistant or the hygienist, hygiene does limited exams for us sometimes as well. And it's not just an assistant thing because they're trying to get them converted into hygiene. Um, but, um, you know, they, they try to get them in and take care of them, not, not get in the way and throw up all these barriers. Oh, you have a DMO? Oh, well, we don't take that. And only crappy offices take that. <laughs> you know, they don't hear that kind of stuff on the phone. They say, hey, you know what? Uh, if you come in, we'll look and see what you need and tell you what it is and see how we can you know, help you with that. And then, um, you know, that sort of stuff. And yeah, of course, they'll, they'll, the, the conversation may end up, well, if you have insurance, if you want to send us your insurance information, you can email us a copy of your insurance card in the front and the back to this email address if you'd like, you know. And that way they have that mm -hmm. stuff. You don't have to sit there and go, well, go get in your purse, Gina. And get the insurance card out, and you're telling me a group number and an 800 number and all sort of stuff. And it's, oh, well, that's a medical insurance, Gina. Go get your other card out and all that. It just wastes a lot of time. So you're on the phone actually too long. The phone's ringing. Um, where, you know, nowadays people have a smartphone. They can take a picture of the front and back of their insurance card and email it to your office. It has all the stuff you're going to ask them for anyway. You right. know, so you may need to get other pertinent information, subscriber, date of birth, all that kind of junk. But you know, at least that gets them going and gets them started. You know, you can call them back once you have most of that stuff filled out on a form and go, hey, you know what, Gina, I need to get your date of birth. And um, is it under you or your husband? Great. Get that information really quickly. I'm going to check with your insurance company. Just get some more information from them. We can't wait to see you on Tuesday or Wednesday. You know, that stuff works really, really well um, for patients, you know, in those situations. I think the value of having someone who's cross-trained, who has the clinical education, who, who's been right next to you, chairside, watching you uh, perform your magic, the value of having someone on the phone and talking to a patient for the first time and really being able to sell you, sell the practice 
and and sell the kind of dentistry that I'm not afraid of the word sell. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just giving people, figuring out what people want and and figuring out how to give it to them. And, uh, you know, but having someone on the phone as the first person who answers the call, um, as someone who's seen what you can do and, and being able to sell you and sell the kind of dentistry that you offer, I think that's priceless. And, um, and honestly, I just want to be a fly on the wall in, in your practice. It sounds amazing. If someone is interested to bring their team and um, observe your office, uh, is, is that possible? Yeah, we have, um, we have offices that come in all the time, you know, and, and we're happy to host uh, office teams, doctors, doctors and assistants, a hygienist, whoever. And we just pick a day that, you know, that I'm going to be here, number one. You know, some people charge for this type of stuff and that's fine. You know, that's cool. Uh, I charge to teach dentists how to do certain things, but, you know, seeing how an office runs that, that's going to help patient experience works better. But, but selfishly, it helps us to refine and hone what we're doing as well. And, um, and it makes more sense to learn from each other to better at what we're doing instead of putting our heads in the sand and thinking that the dentist right down the street is my enemy. You know, um, that's just foolish. Um, I, I want to thank you for being a, um, you know, an early adapter and, and a very vocal fan of Yappy. I, we've, we've always loved working with your team and uh, we've always had a great relationship. So thank you for that. Thank you for everything that you do for our dental community. And again, thank you for, for the time and coming on the show and sharing your story. All right. Thanks, Gina. I'm uh, happy, to, happy to be here. Thanks for listening to Behind the Smiles. This podcast episode was brought to you by Yappy. Not only does Yappy automate the busy work, it helps you get back to what's most important, taking care of your patients. So take a demo today at yappyapp.com.